Chapter Twenty Two A of the Everyday Life of Abraham Lincoln. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Everyday Life of Abraham Lincoln by Francis Fisher Brown. Chapter Twenty Two A. President and People, Society at the White House in eighteen sixty two to sixty three. The President's informal receptions, a variety of callers, characteristic traits of Lincoln his ability to say no when necessary, would not countenance injustice, good sense and tact in settling quarrels. In a work which is not intended to cover fully the events of a great historic period, but rather to trace out the life of a single individual connected with that period, much must be included which, although not possessing special historical significance, cannot be overlooked in a personal study of the subject of the biography. Lincoln's life as President was by no means made up of cabinet meetings, official messages and proclamations, or reviews of armies. Interspersed with these conspicuous acts was a multitude of less heroic, but scarcely less interesting details, with incidents and experiences humorous or sad, but all, even the most trivial, being expressions of the life and character of the man whom we are seeking to portray. Society, as now understood at the national capital, had but little existence during the war. At the White House there were the usual President's receptions, which were quite public in character and were largely attended. Aside from these democratic gatherings there was little enough of gaiety. The feeling that prevailed is shown by an incident that occurred during the winter of 1862-63, to 63, when a good deal of clamor was raised over a party given by Mrs. Lincoln at which it was asserted dancing was indulged in, and Mrs. Lincoln was severely censured for what was regarded as inexcusable frivolity. Hon. A. G. Riddle, who was present on the occasion referred to, states positively that there was no dancing. The party was a quiet one, intended only to relieve the rather dull and formal receptions. But the President was pained by the rumors that fashionable balls were permitted at the White House in wartime and the party was not repeated. It was the custom of President Lincoln to open twice a week the doors of his office in the executive mansion for the admission of all visitors who might wish to speak with him. These brief interviews, quite devoid of ceremony, seemed to reveal the man in his true character, and to set forth the salient traits that fitted him for his great position, and endeared him so greatly to the popular heart. They showed how easily accessible he was to all classes of citizens, how readily he could adapt himself to people of any station or degree, how deep and true were his human sympathies, how quickly and keenly he could discriminate character, and how heartily he detested meanness and all unworthy acts and appliances to compass a selfish or sordid end. On these occasions, as may well be imagined, many curious incidents occurred. Lincoln was usually clad in black broadcloth suit nothing in his dress betokening disregard of conventionality, save perhaps his neat cloth slippers, which were doubtless worn for comfort. He was seated beside a plain cloth-covered table, in a commodious armchair. As each visitor approached the President he was greeted with an encouraging nod and smile, and a few moments were cordially given him in which to state the object of the visit. The President, listening with the most respectful and patient attention, and deciding each case with tact, sympathy, and good humor. 
His yes, says Mr. Riddle, was the most gracious and satisfactory. His no, when reached, was often spoken by the petitioner, and left only a soothed disappointment. He saw the point of a case unerringly. He had a confidence in the homely views and speech of the common people, with whom his heart and sympathies ever were. At these informal meetings, with people who usually wanted some favour from him, no case was too trivial to receive his attention. Taking advantage of the opportunity, there came one day, says Mr. C. Van Sandford, a sturdy, honest-looking German soldier, minus a leg, who hobbled up to the President on crutches. In consideration of his disabled condition, he wanted some situation about Washington, the duties of which he might be able to discharge, and he had come to the President hoping that he would provide the desired situation for him. On being interrogated as to how he had lost his leg, he answered that it was the effect of a wound received in battle, mentioning the time and the place. "'Let me look at your papers,' said Mr. Lincoln. The man replied that he had none, and that he supposed his word would be sufficient. "'What?' exclaimed the President. "'No papers, no credentials, nothing to show how you lost your leg?' How am I to know that you did not lose it by a trap after getting into somebody's orchard?" This was spoken with a droll expression which amused the bystanders, all except the applicant, who, with a very solemn visage, earnestly protested the truth of his statement, muttering something about the reasons for not being able to produce his papers. "'Well, well,' said the President, "'it is a little risky for an army man to be wandering around without papers to show where he belongs, and what he is but I will see what can be done for you." And taking a blank card from a little pile of similar blanks on the table, he wrote some lines upon it, addressed it, and handing it to the man bade him deliver it to a certain quartermaster, who would attend to his case. The President could, however, be emphatic and even severe when necessary on such occasions. One day, we are told, he was approached by a man apparently sixty years of age, with dress and manner which showed that he was acquainted with the usages of good society, whose whole exterior indeed would have favourably impressed people who form opinions from appearances. The object of his visit was to solicit aid in some commission project, for the success of which Mr. Lincoln's favour was regarded as essential. The President heard him patiently but demurred against being connected with or countenancing the affair, suggesting mildly that the applicant would better set up an office of the kind described, and run it in his own way and at his own risk. The man pleaded his advanced years and obscurity as a reason for not attempting this, but said if the President would only let him use his name to advertise and recommend the enterprise, he would then, he thought, need nothing more. At this the eyes of the President flashed with sudden indignation, and his whole aspect and manner underwent a portentous change. "'No!' he broke forth with startling vehemence, springing from his seat under the impulse of his emotion. "'No, I'll have nothing to do with this business, nor with any man who comes to me with such degrading propositions. What? Do you take the President of the United States to be a commission-broker? You have come to the wrong place.' and for you and every one who comes for such purposes, there is the door." The man's face blanched as he cowered and slunk away, confounded. Without uttering a word, the President's wrath subsided as speedily as it had risen. 
Another example of Lincoln's power to dispose summarily of people who tried his patience too far is given by Secretary Wells, who records that a Mrs. White, a sister or half-sister of Mrs. Lincoln, made herself so obnoxious as a Southern sympathizer in Washington in 1864, that the President sent her word that, if she did not leave forthwith, she might be expected to find herself within twenty-four hours in the old Capitol prison. A visitor once asked him how many men the rebels had in the field. The President replied very seriously, Twelve hundred thousand, according to the best authority. The interrogator blanched in the face and ejaculated, Good heavens! Yes, sir, twelve hundred thousand, no doubt of it. You see, all of our generals, when they get whipped, say the enemy outnumbered them from three or five to one, and I must believe them. We have four hundred thousand men in the field, and three times four makes twelve don't you see it? Among the many illustrations of the sturdy sense and firmness of Lincoln's character, the following should be recorded. During the early part of 1863, the Union men in Missouri were divided into two factions, which waged a bitter controversy with each other. General Curtis, commander of the military district comprising Missouri, Kansas, and Arkansas, was at the head of one faction, while Governor Gamble led the other. Their differences were a source of great embarrassment, to the government at Washington, and of harm to the Union cause. The President was in constant receipt of remonstrances and protests from the contesting parties, to one of which he made the following curt reply. "'Your dispatch of to-day is just received. It is very painful to me that you and Missouri cannot or will not settle your factional quarrel among yourselves. I have been tormented with it beyond endurance for months by both sides.' neither side pays the least respect to my appeals to reason. I am now compelled to take hold of the case. A. Lincoln End of chapter 22a Recording by Bill Borst